Welcome to Southside Presbyterian Church. The following sermon was taken from our Sunday gathering. If you'd like to find out more, or if we can help you on your journey in faith, head to our website, www.southsidepc.org, or visit us any Sunday morning at 9am. We are working through the book of 1 Corinthians. We work through books of the Bible and uh, Benny's preaching this morning and he's going to pick it up in chapter 3. I'll be just reading for you the second half of 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Do not deceive yourselves. If any of, if any of you think you are wise by the standards of this age, you should become fools so that you may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness in God's sight, and it is written, He catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows that the thoughts of the wise are futile. So then, no more boasting about human leaders. All things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas, or the world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours, and you are of Christ. And Christ is of God. Thanks, Ross. Good morning, everyone. My name is Ben. If we haven't met before, uh, we're going to be working through the whole of chapter 3, as Ross said uh, a moment ago. But let's pray again, and then uh, we can hook into this. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we uh, praise you for the privilege that we have this morning to gather together. Um, God, it is so good to stop and um, to listen to the living God. And so, Father, we pray that you would be at work among us. We pray that your spirit would be at work among us. As your word will tell us today, your spirit is here in our midst. And so we pray that you would, you would do some things in us, that you would change us, that you would comfort us, that you would challenge us and move in us, that we may represent who you are and what you've done in our world. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I love a good life hack. I feel like we all love a good life hack. So here I am this morning to make your life better. This is a life hack where on your birthday, you can get free stuff. Okay, so here's what you need to do. You need to sign up to a bunch of companies. You got to join their tribe or gang or club or whatever it is they've marketed as. You sign up six months before your birthday and then every birthday you can get free stuff. Okay, it's just the best thing ever. So uh, I've been practicing this for a little while now, and I've got it down to a fine art. Okay, so it, this is all at Garden City. There is more than just at Garden City. You, you Google free stuff on your birthday, you'll see all the things in Brisbane that you can get. But here's my plan at Garden City. You start the clock, and I'll be finished in under an hour. You've got to park at Coles, and then uh, you make your way to Boost. That's your first stop. Boost, wish you a happy birthday and give you a free Boost. Then as you're drinking that, you begin to walk up the other end to send churros for your free churros for two. Although they have changed it in recent years, you've got to pay five bucks for your free send churros for two. But I think this whole system, five bucks for this is worth it. So That's what we do. To wash the churros down, you go to char time. That's when you get your free iced tea, and then you start your walk back to the other direction. Now, if Mecca's your thing, then birthday gifts are yours. Not mine, though. I skip Mecca, and I go straight to Hungry Jack's for my free Whopper, and then to round it all off, I go to Moss Burger for whatever they've got on offer for me. Stop the clock, and it's under an hour. There it is. There's my life hack to you. You're welcome. 
Now, I have noticed something, though, as I've, as I've done this. Um, and it was funny, you know, my birthday was in the last month, and I realized in the last month that I visited these places for the first time in 12 months. I began to realize that I'm a, a member of tribes, gangs, institutions, whatever they've marketed as. I remember about 10 things that I don't even think about or go to unless it's my birthday. And at the heart of it, while that sounds crazy, at the heart of it, I think we all do that. Not for birthdays. I mean, you can do that. And I hope you do. It, it does make your day better. But, but we actually all do this for clubs, members, whatever it is, whatever things we want to join. We look at what they offer us, and then we think, am I going to join that thing? Right? That, that's what we do for, for every group, for every company, for everything in our life. We look at what they offer, and then we think, okay, is this worth my time, my energy to be a part of that? Now, the reason we bring that up this morning is, of course, we're here at a church. And, and the question we want to think about this morning is, what does church offer us? Right? So you might have come here this morning thinking in some ways about what church offers. You might have had, a, had an experience of this in your life. Maybe this is your first Sunday here at church. But even for you, you might have an idea of what church is supposed to bring you. But this morning, what we want to do is we want to open up God's Word. And we want to see from God's Word what what is the church supposed to actually bring us? What's it supposed to offer us? Well, what does God say about his church? We're going to do that as we open up. And we're going to see in chapter 3, we're going to get three things today. Now, up front, this is not all exclusive, okay? We can't think of all the things that church offers us. But we're going to see three things this morning. That if the church is missing, something is going to happen. And we need these things for the church to be the church. Okay, so, so we've got three things today of what the church offers, and we pick it up in verse 1, where you begin to notice the first thing the church offers is not another human leader. Okay, that's where we start. He says this in verse 1. Brothers and sisters, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit, but as people who are still worldly, mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you're not ready for it. Indeed, you, indeed you're still not ready for it. You are still worldly. For since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere humans? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another says, I follow Apollos, are you not mere human beings? So what's the church offer? Well, the first thing is not another human leader. Right? That, that's at the heart of what he's saying. Now, if you've been with us since the start of 1 Corinthians, you might think, hang on, I've heard this before. And you have. In fact, the whole first four chapters of 1 Corinthians are essentially Paul banging on about this idea that church is not about human leaders. And, and why isn't it about human leaders? Well, aside from the fact that Corinth loved to make it about human leaders, and, and really, if we're honest, we do as well. We love to make institutions about human leaders. The reason for this is because there's problems that arise when you make it about human leaders. And this is where he goes next. Verse 5, he says, What, after all, is Apollos? And what is Paul? Only servants whom you came to believe as the Lord assigned to each his task. I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. So, neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. The one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose, and they will each be rewarded according to their own labor. For we are co-workers in God's service, and you are God's field, God's building. Church offers not another human leader because it's not meant to be about a human leader. And when you make it about a human leader, what happens is problems start to arise. Now, I think in this section here, you can see that, I know we've got three points there, but I think you can see three problems with making things about human leaders. The first is, when you make it about a human leader, you're making someone who's not anything something. 
Did you see that there? He said, neither Paul nor Apollos are anything. So if we make human leaders something when they're not something, they will let us down. You, you can guarantee that. They will let us down because human leaders are sinful and broken and flawed. They're not meant to be something. They're not anything. They will let you down. And, and I think we know this to be true. You know, you might know this through your own experience this morning. You might have experienced this in a church before. You might have even experienced this in our church. But I think more broadly than that, we, we know this to be true. Human leaders let us down. And we love to make it about human leaders. You know, if you think about Christian cultures over the last 20 years, we've done this, and time and time again, the human leader has let us down. I mean, you think about some of the examples of this. You know, Mark Driscoll was a guy that was influential in me coming to faith. He was a preacher in the you know, early thousands, late thousands, and then in about 2014, it came out that he was abusive to his staff and eldership. That he was mistreating people in his church. He let everyone that platformed him down. It was always going to happen. Because if you make it about a human leader, it will happen. They will let you down. Or you think of someone like Ravi Zacharias. If you've heard of him, he was someone who was really good at answering tough questions. And then when he died, it came out that he was cheating on his wife and paying off prostitutes in other countries. Human leaders will let you down. It's not meant to be about a human leader. It was never, Paul says, of himself, neither Apollos nor myself are anything. So thank God that church doesn't offer us another human leader because they will let you down. But there's another problem with this. The second problem with this is it will divide the church. So the context of Corinth is this, and, and this is what he's been banging on about. Like some of the church say, I follow Paul. It's almost like they've, they've split their church in two and, and one group of people sit on one side and they go, I'm a Paul guy, you know, a, a Paulist perhaps. And, and I'm a Paul guy because he planted, he's the mission guy. You know, he's the guy that planted this church and mission's the main thing. And so I'm a Paul guy. I'm going to follow Paul. He was crucial in coming to faith. And so you get people in one half of the church following Paul. And then you get other people in the other half of the church following Apollos. And they're, they're saying, I'm an Apollist, something like that. And, 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 or a, a, a Polonist. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe. Maybe that's what they're doing. But, but you've got people following Paul. Apollos over this side. And they're the guys who are saying, I'm more about the watering aspect of it. You know, because Apollos' sermons were a little bit better and he preached a little bit longer and he stayed with us. Paul didn't stay with us. Apollos stayed with us. And so there's divisions in the church over who, which human leader they follow. And, and Paul says this is a problem. You see, when we make it about human leaders, divisions happen. Church is meant to be a place about Christ, united over Christ. If we make it about human leaders, then we will be divided over human leaders. So the first thing that will happen is they will let us down. The second thing is they will divide us. But the biggest problem of all of this is, is when we make it about human leaders, we take our eyes off of who the church is meant to be about. You see that, right? He says, Paul, Apollos, we're nothing. Why is that? Because the church is meant to be about Christ and him crucified. We've spent weeks talking about this. This is what the church is meant to be about. It's not meant to be about the leader, it's not meant to be about a person. It's meant to be about Christ and Him crucified. That's the goal of the church. Not Paul, not Apollos, not anyone else. It's all about Christ. There's, there's problems here that come when you make it about a human leader. And, and when we make it about a human and not Christ, the problem is humans can't fix our problems. Right? You might think they can, but they can't. We can't fix your problems. We can't do that. Humans can't deal with your sin. Humans can't sit with you 
when you need them to sit with you. Humans aren't all-knowing and all-present. They're not everywhere. Humans don't know everything. Humans can't deal with your problems. Humans can't reconcile you with God. Humans can't redeem you and rescue you. They can't do it. And so when you make it about humans, you take your eyes off of Christ, the one who can do all of those things, who can rescue you and redeem you and fix your sin, who can unite you with God, who can fix all of your problems, who sits with you in your grief, who deals with you gently, who will never abuse you and mistreat you. This is Christ. And this is why the church needs to always be about Christ and not human leaders. So Paul says it very clearly here. It's not about human leaders. A church doesn't offer you another human leader. Now, the, the question then must be raised, so why do we have human leaders? That's the question, isn't it? If it's not about human leaders, if, if God does it and he's the one that's meant to be about, why do we have human leaders? Well, this is where we've got to think about the image that he gives us here of planting and watering and growth. Did you notice that? He says, Paul planted, Apollos watered, but God gives the growth. So let's go deep into this illustration to understand why we need leaders. Okay, so, so essentially the question is here, who gets the glory? Who gets the glory? It's God. Okay, that much is clear. I hope we've seen that. God gets the glory because God brings the growth. But then there's the question, does planting and watering matter? Okay, so, so let's go deep into the image. Um, I have in our house, we've gotten into some gardening in our house. And to my shame, I'm saying that this morning, because it does make me feel very old. And I want to say I'm doing it for Poppy. It's, we planted some strawberries in our backyard, and I'm doing it for the kids. It's definitely not me who bought fertilizer and soil in a planter box and waters it every day. That's not me. That's Poppy that's doing that. And uh, so, so we planted some strawberries. Now, I don't know anything about planting, but I know you need to water them. So bought the planter box, bought the soil, got the strawberries, planted the strawberries in the planter box. I didn't realize that you needed holes in the bottom of a planter box. So we, we bought this from Bunnings. It's, I mean, are they not meant to make our lives easier? And then do it, and then water it. And I realized after about a week, I'm, I've basically got strawberries sitting in mud. And so realized uh, my problems, four of the strawberry plants died, okay? So I rang up someone that I know knows gardening. Uh, Barry, my father-in-law, the oldest guy that I know. No, I'm joking, Barry. <laughs> and uh, Barry came over and fixed the problems of the strawberries, okay? He, he drilled holes in the bottom of the planter box. I am here to report I've got two healthy strawberry plants. They haven't produced, they're like, you know, <laughs> tidy, but they're alive. Now, okay, think about the image of the garden. Does planting and watering matter? Of course it does. I planted wrong, I watered wrong, the strawberries died. Planting and watering matters. In a garden, that matters. This is the image that he's talking about here. Who gets the growth? Who brings the growth? It's not me that brings the growth of a strawberry. Like, I didn't invent a strawberry plant. I'm not the one inside the strawberry plant pushing out strawberries. That's how it works. I'm not the one who does that. I can't bring growth. But planting and watering matter. You have to see that. If you, if you know gardening, you know that that matters. Now, here, the image is what he's using of the church. He says in verse 9, you're God's field. He doesn't say you're God's bushland. 
You know, that's just this organic, natural growth out in the desert. No, he says you're God's field. This is the image. You're God's garden. So leadership matters because leaders are the one who plant and water. And it's not just leaders in, in the sense of leaders of the church. Of course, it is speaking about the pastors in some sense here. But it's, it's all of us in some sense because everyone in a position of leadership, whether it's a formal leadership position or informal, whether, whether you've got influence through your role or just through who you are, it matters. Your planting and your watering matter. Now, who gets the growth? Who brings the growth? God does. So who gets the glory? God does. But does planting and watering matter? Of course it does. Of course it matters. So when we understand this, the church doesn't offer a human leader, but human leaders matter. So pray for your human leaders, encourage your human leaders, but just don't give them all of your affection and attention. Don't make them your God because they will let you down. Christ must be your God. Christ must be your Savior. But human leaders matter. Okay, so, so, so we see this here then in this section. What does church offer? Not another human leader. Thank God for that. As we keep reading, though, we see it's not another human institution. So let's keep reading. Let's see this. This is not just something humans started. He says in verse 10 here, By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder, and someone else is building on it. But each one of you should build with care, for no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is, because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss, but yet will be saved even, only, even though only as one escaping through the flames." The second thing the church offers us here is not another human institution. And here he's speaking about how the church began. He's saying it began based on the foundation that's Christ. The church began because Jesus died on a cross and rose again and said to his disciples, go and make disciples of all nations. And they went making disciples of all nations. And, and in locations, they started to meet together as a group to encourage one another to plant and to water. That's why the church began, because of Christ and him crucified. This wasn't just humans thinking, how can we conquer the world? This is not a human idea. This is God's thing based on the foundation that's Christ. So that means that the church needs to look like Christ and speak about Christ and imitate Christ. Which is kind of fascinating because when you think about it, what's the church known for? Almost anything but that. What are we known for? The church is known for leaders who were platformed and then were hypocritical and burnt people. The church is known for abuse. The church is known for hypocrisy with money. The church is known for hoarding money and all of this sort of stuff. The church is known for caring more about how other people live their lives than looking in their own hearts. These things are what the church is known for. Take your pick of any one of these things, yet what is the church meant to be known for? What's the church built on? It's built on the foundation that's Christ. And when the church is built on the foundation that's Christ, when it's all about Christ and Him crucified, it's God's institution. This is God's design. This is God's thing here. Now, practically, what does this mean? Well, practically, one of the things that this means is that if the church isn't speaking about Christ, it's quite possible that they're not actually a church. 
You know, like, you, you can, I mean, this could even be Southside. If Southside becomes the place where we dress like people who go to church, meet at a time that we call church, have church on our sign, but we don't speak about Christ and Him crucified, we're no longer a church. It's something else. It's not church. Church is meant to be a place which is all about Christ, built on the foundation of Christ, because it's not meant to be about human leaders and human ideas and human stuff. It's meant to be about Jesus. And when the church is about Jesus, what we see is when it's built on the foundation of Christ, we see that it's God's temple where God's spirit dwells. And we see this in verse 16. He says, don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst? You capture the weight of this? God's spirit is in our midst. This is not just people gathering together. Like God is with us in this very moment when we gather. Now, there is so many implications of this truth. You know, that God's presence is among us. So many good things to think about. You know, you, like, so you, we talked about this in January. I'll, I'll leave it to you in January. If you want to think about that, it's in Hebrews. We talked about this uh, in our series in Hebrews, sorry, two weeks about God's presence. There's a lot of implications here, but for the sake of it, Let's stick to this passage. Paul says, don't you know that you yourself are God's temple? God's spirit dwells in you. That's a big deal. But what's his implication in this moment? The implication in this moment, in this passage, verse 17, he says this, if anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person for God's temple is sacred. And you yourself, you, you together are that temple. So, so here's the image. If if God's church is built on the foundation that is Christ, God's Spirit dwells in our midst. And if God's Spirit dwells in our midst, what Paul says to the church, so don't destroy the church. Now, I grew up thinking this was a passage about suicide. But it's not. The context is about church. It's about church, right? Do, do you see that? And so you yourself, us as the church, you know, you can kind of picture him talking to all of us this morning. You as a church are God's temple where God's spirit dwells in your midst. So don't destroy that. Which raises the question, how do we destroy that? How do we destroy the church? Well, well, how was the Corinthian church destroying the church? Through their divisions. You see that their divisions was separating the church and destroying the church. When one group said, I follow Paul, and another said, I follow Apollos, they were dividing something that was never meant to be divided. It's meant to be united. The Corinthian church were dividing the church, destroying the church over their human leaders. Of course, we too must feel the weight of this this morning. I mean, we might not have exactly the same scenario that they had in Corinth, but it's not hard for us to think about how divisions could divide our church, whether it's interpersonal conflict, whether it's backgrounds, whether it's race, gender, different things that we might get attached to certain secondary issues that we might make primary issues. It's not hard for us to think about how divisions might divide us and destroy us. And at the heart of it here, Paul is saying, understand the weight of what you have in the church. Understand this is not just, like a, this is not just a human thing. No, this is God's building where God dwells in our midst. So don't destroy the church over your divisions. So how do we avoid destroying the church over our divisions. Well, we've got to pursue unity. We've got to pursue unity. And how do we pursue unity? I hope by now at this point in, in Corinthians, you know the answer to that. Christ and Him crucified. That's how we pursue unity. 
We unite over the main thing. That's the main thing, and we keep it the main thing. And not only that, but we become like Christ, who forgave his enemies, who laid his life down for those he loved, who laid his life down for those who killed him. We love people like Christ did. That's how we pursue unity. The answer to this is, is we love like Christ. So, so you see, what does the church offer? Not a human leader, not a human institution. Built on the foundation that's Christ, where God's Spirit dwells in our midst. But number three, as we keep moving, what we see, the last thing in this passage, where Ross read out for us before, the last thing that the church is meant to offer is everything in Christ. Everything we need in Christ. Now, I know that might sound token, but let's have a look at his words here and notice the, the change in what he speaks about here. Because when we get to it, he just says, you've got everything in Christ. So let's have a look at this from verse 18. He says, don't deceive yourselves. If any of you think you are wise, by the standards of this age, you should become fools so that you may become wise. For the wisdom of the world is foolishness in God's sight. As it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows that the thoughts of the wise are futile. Now, just for a moment, he's speaking here about what he spoke about last week. The wisdom of this age will come to nothing. And he's looking at the Proverbs where he's, he's saying, look, this was already said ages ago. The wisdom of the age will come to nothing. And the wisdom of the age for the Corinthian church was that their human leaders were something. So he says, you've got to leave that idea behind. But then let's, let's zone in on this. Verse 21, he says, So then no more boasting about human leaders. He's been laboring on about this. No more boasting about human leaders. All things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future. All are yours and you are of Christ and Christ is of God. This then is how you ought to regard us as servants of Christ and those entrusted with the mysteries God has revealed. The third thing the church is supposed to offer us is everything we need in Christ. In Christ. Because in Christ Jesus, we have all that we need. And and he says that there. He says, even your leaders you have in Christ. Because your leaders of the church are servants of the mysteries of God. You know, we are not anything special because we have a microphone on stage or the position of leadership in the church. We are servants pouring our lives out for the sake of Christ. And he said earlier, your pastors will be rewarded for what they do in Christ. You see, we're accountable to God, not to people. We're accountable to God for what we do. He will reward us. Even in that section about the temple, he will judge us. There's a level here. We are responsible to God. We are servants of Christ. And he says, when you're in Christ, even your leaders are your servants. But then, of course, it's not just your leaders. It's more than that. He says everything. You've got life. You've got death. You've got the present. You've got the future. All are yours in Christ. And what he's saying here is if you hold on to Christ, if you believe in Jesus, you have all that you need. Don't settle for a human leader. We can't deal with things. But in Christ, you have it all. You have victory over life. You have victory over death. You have confidence in the presence, confidence in the future. You have an eternal home. God will bring you safely home in Christ. And this here is what the church is supposed to offer. When we settle Offering human leaders or human institutions, we miss Christ. But when we offer Christ, we're offering people everything. So three things there. Not a human leader, not a human institution, everything we need in Christ. So 
Let's think about this then. What are the implications of a passage like this? What does this mean for us as we think about our lives, our church, our weeks? What does this mean for us? Well, of course, in the first four chapters in this whole series that we've had, I think the implications are quite obvious in the sense of don't make it about human leaders. Okay, that, that is obviously an implication. Neither Paul nor Apollos are anything. Neither Ross nor myself are anything. You're human leaders. You cannot afford to make it about us. In fact, one day we will die and God willing, the church will continue in Christ. There is an implication there. We've got to recognize that, feel the weight of that. So the, the, that's the first one. Not another human leader. Let's not make it about human leaders. But we have been spending almost four chapters speaking about this. So let's think about something else as well as we think about the idea of not making about human leaders. Let's go deeper into the idea, uh, in terms of the idea of what he spoke about there, of planting and watering and growth. Okay, because I think that is something that has been raised so far that we haven't really spoken about. It was raised a little bit last week, a little bit so far. So, so let's think about this idea uh, in terms of the implications for us as a church. Planting, watering, growth. Now, here's the temptation as we have this. The temptation is to think, God. we've got two temptations. Number one is God brings the growth, so we don't have to do anything. You know, last week's passage was all about the power of the Holy Spirit, that the Spirit reveals things. And so the temptation is God brings the growth, we don't have to do anything. That's temptation number one. Temptation number two is to think only planting and watering matter. And if we plant and we water, then that's who gets the glory. It's not about who brings the strawberries out of the plant, it's about who drilled the holes in the bottom of the planter box. Planting and watering matter, and those are the two temptations, right? Growth matters, that's all that matters, or planting and watering matter. We all live with that temptation. You know, when you read the Bible, depending on the passage, you can feel the temptation to go either way on that. But what does this passage say? It says, we plant and we water, and God brings the growth. Both things matter. Planting and watering matter, and God brings the growth. So God gets the glory, but we've got to think about planting and, and, and watering. Now, now, the reason we're thinking about this this morning, to go deeper into this, it just so happens that, as Ross mentioned before, we're heading into an AGM in a couple of weeks' time. And AGMs are great moments in the life of our church to reflect on what God has been doing in the last 12 months. You know, Ross mentioned before, short meetings, long report books. There's truth to that, but... More than just a book and some voting things, we want to celebrate what God has been doing. We want to enjoy that and reflect on that. And in the last 12 months, God has grown His church. God has grown Southside. If you were here 12 months ago, there were less people than there were now. If you were here 12 months ago, there were less people in growth groups, there were less people in serving, there were less people who became Christians. Pretty much in every aspect that we can measure, we've seen growth at Southside. Now, we know measurement only tells part of the story. Okay, we, we understand that. There's certain things that are harder to measure or that you can't measure. But fruit matters and, and you can measure fruit. And so we want to measure fruit knowing that it tells half of the story. But, but we've seen growth. Now, who gets the glory? Who gets the glory? God does. Yeah, God gets the glory. Let's celebrate that. Let's enjoy that we're a part of a church where God is bringing growth and God gets the glory. However, let's also enjoy the fact that our planting and our watering has led to growth. That there's something good in that as well. 
And when we think about that as well, Ross and I, again, we're talking about this this week as we're thinking about this passage. When we think about how Southside has planted and watered over the last 12 months, the greatest joy is not our achievements, not even close. We're just so encouraged by watching the body do the work that the body is meant to do. In fact, uh, we'll see that right throughout the book of Corinthians. You get to 1 Corinthians 12, it speaks about how it's not just about leaders at the top, but the whole body is meant to function and work together. And we see that here at Southside in so many different ways. We've watched leaders over the last 12 months step into roles. We've watched leaders in formal ways and informal ways serve God, plant and water. And it's just a privilege to watch you guys at work. You know, like if you haven't seen it, I mean, there are people who serve here at Southside who give up days of their week to serve Jesus. There are people who serve at Southside who oversee teams and it takes them 10 plus hours a week serving in those teams. There are people who have just done things week in, week out, the kind of the grind of showing up and just doing that all the time. We've, we've watched people in so many different ways, plant and water, where people see that there's a need for some planting or some watering, and then instead of thinking, who's going to fix that, they think, I'm going to fix that, and they stepped into it. And in the last 12 months, we've seen that time and time again. And so I, we just want to take this moment as we get into an AGM and as we think about this moment to celebrate the fact that we get to be a part of a church where we plant and water and God brings the growth. And so, so today, see, AGMs, there's these moments. We're not just looking back, we're also looking forward. So today, there's this moment where if you've served in the last 12 months, if you've, if you've volunteered at, at Southside in a formal way or informal way, if you've used your leadership to grow the church, we just want to say thank you. We want to celebrate you and thank you for that. But do you know what? More than human praise, we want to point you to the Bible, which says God will reward you for that. That's where your reward comes from. God sees what you do behind the scenes and in front of, and in front of people. God sees all that you do and, and nothing is missed by the living God. He will reward you for what you do. And we want to encourage you in that. But more than that, we also want to look forward 12 months because in another 12 months' time, we will have an AGM. And in 12 months' time, we want to reflect again on how we've planted and watered and God's brought the growth. But you see, of course, to, to do that, we must keep going. We must keep planting, keep watering, keep thinking about how that's happening and praying that God will bring the growth. And so this morning, as you grab an AGM book, if you're a part of Southside particularly, as you read through that and think about your role in this, why don't you pray that God would help you see where you can play your role? If you are playing a role, we'd love to encourage you in that to keep going. And if you're not, we'd love to encourage you to join us in that. Because honestly, there is nothing better than planting and watering and watching God bring the growth. You see, it is worth reflecting on this truth. And it's worth reflecting on planting and watering and growth because, yes, God gets the glory. We celebrate God. God has done the work. We can't do that. But our planting and our watering matters. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we uh, gather together today, we thank you, Father, that this church is not about a human leader. This is not a human institution. This is not just a thing designed by people. This is your way of reaching your world, built on the foundation that's Christ. When we gather, Lord, there's this promise that the Spirit is with us. And so we pray, God, that we would recognize what we have, that we would value what we have, 
You see, with human institutions, we can take it or leave it. We can let go when we're annoyed or frustrated. But Father, help us see this is your temple. This is your body. This is your building. These are your people built on Christ. Father, we look back and we, we thank you, God, for bringing the growth. We love to be a part of a church that's growing and we thank you for that. You brought the growth. We thank you for helping us plant and water, whether it was formal or informal, whether it was in a position or just using our influence. We thank you that you, got, that you used us in that. But of course, Father, we look forward now and we pray over the next 12 months, Lord, that you would bring growth. But we pray too that we would work for that growth and get to be a part of what you're doing, not for our glory, but recognizing you see what we do and there's a reward waiting for us. Give us wisdom as we navigate this, Lord. Give us wisdom as we push through this because we know as humans we want to make it about humans. Even when we serve, Lord, we want people to see what we're doing. We want people to see and recognize my input, my influence, what I've done. Help us see the one who plants and the one who waters are not anything, but Christ and him crucified is everything, only God. We need your wisdom and we need your help and we pray that you would work in us by your Spirit for your glory and our good. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.